Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Everyone thinks about inconvenience in terms of how it impacts their time and their personal comfort. Rare is the individual who thinks not of personal preference, but of the needs of others. A teacher burns the candle at both ends to make time to teach. And we who have done nothing check our watch 20 minutes into the lecture. A parent wakes up early in the morning to prepare food before rushing off to work, even as their child complains about the breakfast menu. People make sacrifices on our behalf every day, and we do nothing but complain and criticize. We never stop to consider the burden that others bear. We experience life as though we are at its center, complaining often about what we do not like, almost never expressing gratitude. Imagine the horror of a person who views everything through the narrow lens of his or her own perspective, individual rights, feelings, beliefs, and personal experience one whose only priority is comfort and convenience. Yes, of course I'm talking about us. Thankfully, in the face of our self-obsessed, self-serving, neurotic, consumerized individualism, the story of Jonah shows the path out of our calamity, providing us with a perfect example. However, in order to heed the story's wise advice, we must ignore this example, clinging instead to the teaching it carries. Richard and I discuss Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 218 of the Bible as Literature podcast. So we've quickly reached Jonah chapter 4. And now we get to see just exactly how Jonah's priorities are misaligned with the Lord's priorities. And more importantly, how having the incorrect priority can lead someone literally and figuratively down the wrong path. The priority in Jonah is the mission of the word. First of all, Jonah's problem is he can't see past the end of his nose. He thinks if there's a problem, if something is inconveniencing him, he's got a problem and he gets angry at everybody. Jonah thinks it's all about him. Just like the disciples in Mark, he doesn't understand that the whole point is to sow the word. That's why he tries to get out of sowing the word. And even after he sowed the word... He thinks that it was a waste of time. Which makes the point about the irrelevance of the preacher even more poignant. Because despite himself, he pronounced the words. He brought the word to 
the Ninevites, and then the word did its own thing, and it didn't matter that Jonah didn't understand, it didn't matter that Jonah was rebellious, none of it mattered. He brought the word to the sailors without even meaning to. He thought he was going to avoid preaching by getting on the boat, and unfortunately, he ended up preaching against his will. So Jonah thinks he wasted his time because he did not understand what he was doing, but that does not matter because God understood what he was doing, so the mission was accomplished. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Imagine being angry because the Lord sent you to read something. You read it. It achieved what the Lord wanted, but not what you wanted because you have a different priority. And now you're upset? What is he upset about, Richard? He was angry with a great anger, the way it's read in Hebrew. And what's funny is that also the great anger can also be understood as great evil. It's the same word. So it's even funnier that way because he was angry with great evil. God repented of the evil, which we had before. And now Jonah is angry with a great evil. The author is playing with this idea of evil. They repented from their evil. So God repented of the evil he was going to do. But that only stirred up the evil in Jonah who was angry because they weren't punished for the evil and that God turned away his evil. And you could only pick this up if you read the Hebrew, but you can hear how this all comes together. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Again, he unwittingly is preaching scripture. Now, we said about the sailors that they had to decide whether they were going to go with the word or with the speaker. Here, Jonah says, was this not my word? He says, my word. Was this not my word? The fact that Jonah recognizes that he speaks his own word shows the hypocrisy of Jonah and how there is Jonah's word versus the Lord's word. And this is how the author really plays up this tension between Jonah, the despicable guy, and the bearer of the word of the Lord. It's also interesting that Jonah, the despicable guy, and the carrier of the beautiful word, that this Jonah made that task very difficult for God. Remember, he rebelled against the Lord's mission, tried to go his own way, tried to run away from his assigned task, the Lord had to intervene, force him off the boat, capture him with the fish, drag him all the way back across the map and deposit him on the land while Jonah was saying this prayer that from the perspective of the word, which was pushing him back on track, was tiresome noise, to be honest, if you look at the context of the story. But in Jonah's mind, he was being forgiven because of his very eloquent prayer. So Jonah is stepping on the shore thinking, the Lord saved me. When in fact, he's stepping on the shore because the Lord had to spend extra time to get him to do his original task. And now, when he completes the task, he's upset that the Lord is wasting his time. Who is wasting whose time? It depends on what your priorities are. If your priority is the word, then you're not worried about your time or what you think or what you say. 
So here this hits not just against the preacher and the minister, but it hits against the faithful and the assembly. What is it that is more important than the word of God? According to Jonah, it's my word. And then Jonah follows it up with, I told you so. Why would you check your watch during Bible study? What appointment do you have that's more important than the task at hand? It's a very powerful metaphor, and the hypocrisy is just beautiful. You can see now what Matthew is talking about when he gives the parable of the one guy who owed a large sum of money and was forgiven, but wouldn't forgive the guy who owed just a little bit. Technically, the word came to Jonah first, so whether he's an Israelite or a Hebrew, generically speaking, as we discussed last week, still technically in this story, he received the word first, which means he had more time. And he didn't get the message. And there's this beautiful line in his prayer that those that observe the vanity of a lie forsake their own mercy. Jonah is forsaking his own mercy because he believes in the puff of air of his own word. And this is where Jonah gets himself into trouble because he thinks that his word is the one that prevailed. And then he's going to tell God, I told you so. God, I knew what you were going to do anyway. What's with the charade of me going to the city and having to do the thing when you ended up doing a whole bunch of nothing anyway? Why did you waste my time on this? But like you said, who's wasting whose time? Jonah, if he had just gone, he could have saved a lot of time. It's like my kids. You need to go clean up your room. And then they want to argue. And I say, well, you can either clean up your room for 10 minutes or you can argue with me for 10 minutes and then clean your room for 10 minutes. So you're going to have to go clean now. I don't have time to argue about it. But evidently, you have a lot of free time. I'll be sure to fill it next time for you. What's really interesting, too, about this verse is that it is actually a quote. You find it in Exodus. You find it in Numbers. You find it in Joel. It's alluded to in the Psalter. He is quoting Scripture. And the fact that he's a hypocrite does not stop this text on his lips from giving us instruction. Because his hypocrisy should be a mirror for us. The point isn't to pile on Jonah. The point is that you and I, Richard, are hypocrites. But it's not germane because we're reciting the text of Scripture. Nothing else matters. So to the extent that we're reading Jonah, we may be condemned, but that has no bearing on the value of our recitation for our listeners. And anyone who's familiar with Scripture knows that we're all condemned. We are placed by Scripture in a no-win situation. We are consigned to judgment, which means that the only way we can get out of this jam is if the Lord, who sent Jonah on this mission, happens to show mercy towards us. So our hope is this passage from the Pentateuch that Jonah is quoting. Do we understand that from the book of Jonah, that this is our only hope, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, that he is one who relents concerning calamity, or one might say concerning our evil deeds? We could say the same thing about the crucifixion. Well, God, what's with all the drama with the crucifixion when you're going to resurrect him anyway? Why'd you have to go through all that? You're merciful. We all knew you're going to raise him up in the end anyway. So what's the big deal? Why'd you have to go through all of this? It's the same argument. There's a reason why you have to go through this. People want to complain about how God treats them. Why? Because they want to believe in their own word. 
not in the word that comes from what happens to them because they think that what happens to them is about them. It's not just about them. Job's suffering is not just about Job. It's about the friends. The friends have to learn too because they don't understand either. Suffering is not just about you. It's supposed to move beyond you. And God forbid you think that your word has some value. Your word does not have value. It's the hevel. It's the vanity of a lie. This is your word. But the only word that matters is the one that comes from God. And I want to point out for those of you who don't remember that that was Jonah's accusation. He said that they were the ones that were speaking the wisp of a lie, the Ninevites and others in his prayer. So again, it's this beautiful, deep hypocrisy. Yet the mission was accomplished. I want to keep saying it because we live in a culture where everybody believes in the virtue of leading by example, which is a rejection of the gospel of Matthew. It's a rejection. This is a theme we keep coming back to, that the one who teaches you sits on the seat of Moses, so do what he says, which is a very important play on words because if you're on the seat of Moses, the only reason you're there is because you're reciting scripture. It's not an actual seat. When you open your mouth to recite scripture, you're on the seat, which means that you're reading the words of Moses. So do what the person says who reads to you the words of Moses, but don't do what they do. Do not do what they do. And he's reading the words of Moses. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is a nice way of saying, I feel sorry for myself, poor me. It's a repudiation of his entire prayer. I mean, the entire prayer was, oh my goodness, I'm dying, going down to the depths so far from the presence of God and the waves overcome him and the seaweed is entangling him and there's no escape for him and it's this metaphor of death deep in Sheol and he's begging for God to save him. And now after God saves him, he says, God, you should have killed me. Jonah is not interested in anything that God does. He is only interested in himself and in his word, and he cannot see past the end of his nose. It's a rejection of the Lord's grace. It's a rejection of the Lord's gift, which is life and duty. It's a rejection. He's saying, if I can't live my life my way, if I have to be a slave in your household, I quit. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah you're the one who's been making life difficult for me. Right about now, you should feel lucky that I'm gracious and compassionate. Because if I weren't, I would make an accounting of all the time that I lost trying to get you back on the correct path. It's so forceful in Hebrew because it's just three words. Does your anger do good for you? Is something going to come of this anger of yours? What's the fruit of this anger? What's the utility? What will come of it? Because look what came of my mission an entire city was saved. So let's compare the fruit of my will with the fruit of your pouting and see where we go. That's exactly right. What's going to come of your pouting? I mean, how can the Lord get Jonah to see past the end of his nose? I mean, this is the basic problem of humanity. I mean, the book of Job could have been circumvented very quickly if God just in chapter four said, does getting angry help you so much? <laughs> I mean, 
This is all he's saying. Like, why are you getting so upset? But not why are you getting upset, but what good will your anger produce? What good will come of this? And this is why the Lord has to confront him. Jonah's an emotional basket case. He's told to go to Nineveh. He can't go to Nineveh. And then he goes to the bottom of the ocean and he weeps and he cries and he gnashes his teeth and then he's vomited up on shore and then he goes to Nineveh and then afterwards he's upset and he's angry because, oh, the Lord was too easy on these guys and it was such a big waste of my time. I mean, Jonah is just one emotional outburst after the next in four chapters. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. And this is where I always talk about Jonah getting some popcorn, <laughs> looking for the remote control, and trying to flip the station to the action channel in the hope that something will still get blown up. It's terrible. And it reminds me of Mark again, and of any of the Gospels, but in Mark where... Peter is warming himself. He's interested in his own comfort. Here, Jonah is interested in his own comfort, sitting by to witness someone else's suffering. I'm not claiming that there's a literal connection, but it's the same behavior in both texts. Warming himself, seeking shade for himself, and standing afar off as a spectator. Jonah put himself in a fantastic position, logically, because if God destroys them, he can say, see, Lord, I told you so. There was no point in my going. They're too wicked. But if he chooses not to destroy them, then he can also say, see, God, I told you, you're gracious and you're long-suffering and you're never going to do it anyway. So Jonah's just sitting in his little pouting booth, ready to say, I told you so to God. And there's no curing him of I told you so. Well, I'm not a betting man, but if I were... I would put my money on the Lord no matter what the outcome is, Rich. You know, it's a cliffhanger here. You know, we're going to sit here in our pouting booth and see what ends up at the end here. But we've only got a, less than a dozen verses to see if God can pull this one out. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Have a great week. You too. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.